Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I know that demons are real. Now, I understand we live in the 21st century. We live in an age where that kind of thing is excused as superstition and ignorance and hocus pocus, but I personally believe that demons are real. There was a novel that was made into a movie in the 1970s entitled The Exorcist. It was the story of a little girl who had become possessed by a demon and the family's attempt to rescue her from this evil power. The movie scared a lot of people, but it also stirred up conversations about the reality of demon possession. One thing's for sure, Jesus certainly believed in demon possession, and he came to do something about it. There is no way that Jesus was going to leave this guy in the same condition that he found him. Hello again, and welcome to Crosswalk. In chapter 5 of the book of Mark, we find the story of an encounter of Jesus and a demon-possessed man in a region known as the Gerasenes. It was an area inhabited mainly by Gentiles, non-Jewish persons. It's not necessarily the place you would find a Jewish rabbi. But then again, Jesus rarely did what people expected. Do you know why Jesus went over there? Jesus went over there because he loved them. He loved them just like he loves us. Actually, in Matthew's account of this story, we know that there were two demon-possessed men there that day. But as Pastor Clay will explain, Mark focuses on just one of the men. But the point is that Jesus came to set men and women free. We're so glad you've joined us as we continue our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Now here's Pastor Clay. You jump right into uh, Mark chapter 5. Now open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. I've got uh, uh, a long way to go and a short time to get there. So uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Uh, and uh, a very, yeah, kind of weird uh, event, looking at a demon possession and what all that meant and what all happened and how Jesus handled that and what it means for our lives today. Because if you're here, you may be thinking, oh, demon possession, I mean, that's, you know, that's not me, that's not, that doesn't happen to me, but what can we learn from this? There are actually three different individuals or groups that encountered Jesus during this time, and uh, it's interesting to see how each of them reacted in this situation. Mark chapter 5, beginning this morning in verse 1. Are you with me? Glad you're here? All right. Ears wide open. They came to the other side of the sea. Remember, last week, where, where were they? They were going through what? You remember? Storm. Remember that? Going through that storm? So they're on the sea, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizines. And when he got out of the boat, he being Jesus, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Unclean spirit simply means that the man was, he had a demon possession. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it, described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and, and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Here's the the first truth I want to bring out this morning. The demon-possessed man ran to Jesus and experienced a life reborn. I won't read all of those verses again since I just read them. But we don't know this man's name. We don't know his background. We don't know how he came to be in this condition. All we know is that he was possessed by a demon or more technically demons, plural. Demons uh, are, are simply fallen angels. They are angels uh, who sided with Satan in the great rebellion against God. They Uh, apparently, to some extent, still have some uh, interaction in the world in which we live. They are spirit beings. In other words, they they don't have their own physical body, but they apparently have the ability to uh, take on or possess individuals. Now, I I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs and hows and the whys and and all that kind of stuff. I, I I don't know all of that. But I do know this. I know that demons are real. Now, I understand we live in the 21st century. We live in an age where that kind of thing is, is excused as, as superstition and, and ignorance and, and hocus pocus. But I, I personally believe that, that demons are real because, for one thing, I believe that I've encountered individuals before who I believe were demon-possessed. And secondly, and more importantly, the Bible clearly uh, proclaims that, that demons are real. And, and therefore, I, I simply think that it is true. In this man's case, this man's life, think about this now, this man's life was a literal living hell. Everything that he had ever known about his life was gone. As I said, I don't know how he got in this state. We may talk a little bit about that in a minute, but, but, but the fact is that everything about this man's life, he had lost. He is living up in the cemetery... Not exactly sure why that is. But he spends day after day, night after night in 
unrelenting torment, screaming, running around, cutting himself with rocks. His life is a complete loss with, with no hope of anything ever changing. No one, no one seemed to be able to help him. Change couldn't hold him. He, by the way, that's, that's, a, that's a characteristic of, of spiritual beings. They seem to have supernatural strength. And in this case, he's, he's possessed by multiple demons. And so this man has... This, change can't hold him. Shackles can't hold him. Nobody can help him. No one can hold on to him. But listen, here's, here's, a, here's a word that ought to, ought to bless you. Here's a, here's a good word. The, the strength of the enemy is no match for the power of God. The strength of the enemy is never a match for the power of God. Because in this, in this man's life, in this mess, in this sort... By the way, I should mention this in case you read and then you say, Hey, I, in Matthew's account, Matthew tells us that there were actually two... Uh, demon-possessed men there. Mark and Luke only follow one of the guys. And the reason is because only one of them apparently comes back to Jesus and asks to go with him. So that seems to be why Mark and Luke just follow just the one guy. But just so you'll know there. But from Mark's account, this guy, his life is a disaster. It is a mess. But then there, off in the distance, off on the horizon of the lake, is just a tiny little fishing boat. But by the time it gets to shore, and by the time Jesus steps out of the boat, that demon-possessed man is right there. Now listen, it's unclear how lucid this guy was. It's unclear how much he understood about, you know, what was happening. But one thing was clear. There is no way that Jesus was going to leave this guy in the same condition that he found him. That's just not going to happen. In verse 9 uh, we can uh, we can see that he's possessed by multiple demons, and these demons are are controlling his life. I want to say this, okay? Not e- every person, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago when, when when we saw earlier where Jesus dealt with some some demon possession. It doesn't mean that every single person with a with a mental disorder or every single person with a physical uh, problem. It doesn't mean that every single person is demon-possessed, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I think that it is real. Uh, I don't know the who and the how and the why and all that kind of stuff. I think it is real. But it doesn't mean that every single person. But, but this is the truth. Um, Satan doesn't necessarily have to possess a person to, to influence and control them in often ways and many times in their life. And the options in our lives are, what are, what are we going to do? What, 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 when, when my life is, feels out of control, when my life feels like I, uh, someone else almost is pulling the strings, what am I going to do? This guy comes to Jesus. He comes running to Jesus, and Jesus commands the spirits to come out of him. We find the man afterwards, if we to read all the text, we find the man in, in an amazing condition. We find his life essentially reborn, given back his life. This guy, and, and, I mean, I'm kind of halfway joking about this, but this guy, in some sense, may be the first original zombie. Because, I mean, he is alive, he is breathing, but for all intents and purposes, he might as well be dead, man. He is a dead man living among dead men up in the cemetery, up in the graveyard. 
And Jesus shows up, and, and it's clear from verse 8 that Jesus immediately begins to say, you've got to come out of this man. And so to read on in the text, we follow this guy's story, we find out a few things about him. That at, when Jesus gets done with the situation, uh, the, the man is, is cleaned up. His, uh, the demons are, are cast out of him. And his mind is cleared up. It says that, that when the people show up, he's sitting there in his right mind. His life has been given back to him, and, and even then some, even more than that, because he's also commissioned to go after that, that, that now he has a purpose, now he has a task, that now he has a, 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 a group of people that he needs to go to to communicate the message of Christ and what Christ has, has the power to do in a person's life. He ran to Jesus. I was thinking about um, a, a, Something that happened a number of years ago, I was in uh, Sri Lanka, which is a, a little island country off the coast of India, and I was preaching in a church there uh, one day, and an elderly lady showed up at the service, and they said they'd never seen her before, she'd never been there before, and uh, she had, had lost everything in the tsunami that had occurred earlier that year that washed over the southern part of that island and, and took hundreds of thousands of lives she had lost, she had literally, this lady had lost everything. Uh, and I say she was an elderly lady because she looked like an elderly lady. But one thing for sure, life is hard in Sri Lanka. And so for all I know, she could have been younger than me. But she, she looked like an elderly lady. But I know this, I know she had lost her husband. I know she had lost her children. I know she had lost her grandchildren. I know she had lost her home. She had literally lost everything that she owned or possessed. But that day, she ran to Jesus at the end of that service. She came to discover the only one who could meet her in the midst of her mess of life. Demon possession aside, can life just be messy? Can life just be full of stuff? Sure it can. Run to Jesus. That's what I tell people. Run. Don't walk. Run to Jesus. In the situations of life, in the problems that you have, in all that you face, recognize this. And you may already be a believer. I'm just saying in the midst of all that, there's this, there's this need to run to him in the midst of the uncertainty and, and the stuff in life that we face. Let me give you a, a second one this morning. The demons ran from Jesus. It's life rebellious. The demon-possessed man ran to Jesus and had life Reborn, but the demons are a different story. In verse 10, he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. It must have been an amazing sight, don't you think? One of the questions I was dealing with when I was working on this was thinking about uh, why, why did they choose to go into the swine? Why did the demons want to go into the pigs? And some of this is just speculation, but I just want to give you a couple of ideas of maybe part of what was the thinking Behind this, for one thing, uh, the demons had limited options. They had already confessed who Jesus was. Right? You notice that. What do we have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Living God? 
They'd already confessed who he was. They clearly understood they had already submitted to his authority by coming out of the man or having to come out of the man. And they knew that Jesus was not about to let them go into anybody else. So they, they had pretty limited options. They also had limited time. Now, Mark, and we just read this a moment ago, Mark records that, uh, that they said, do not make us come out of the country. But in Luke's account, Luke records that they said, do not make us go into the abyss. Now, one is not wrong and the other right, by the way. They simply both record part of what must have been the entire statement which had to have been something essentially like this. Don't send us out of this country into the abyss. We like it here. We like getting to, to, to do this to this man. We like all that kind of stuff. By the way, isn't that one kind of the ironies? Did y'all catch some of the ironies in there? I, I just, I'm trying to skip through stuff this morning. We've got a lot of, uh, got of stuff to cover. But, but do you notice how they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't want Jesus to torment them, but they sure had no problem tormenting this, this, this guy? Did, did you notice that? Does that seem... That's how I find a lot of people actually are sometimes. Oh, well, another thing. D- did you notice how, the, I thought it was, this, to me, it's just, this is just funny, that they invoke the name of God to God for God not to torment them? What do we have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? By God, don't, don't torment us. <laughs> That's just funny to me. But anyway, uh, don't send us out of this country into the abyss. So they, they've, got, they've got limited options and they've got limited time. Here's why they had limited times limited time, folks, because the bottom line is this. While Satan and demonic forces apparently still have some type of freedom in this world, in that sense, they still have some interaction in this world, there is a day coming when Satan and all the demonic forces and all those who side with him, quite honestly, will be thrown into hell and into the lake of fire. Listen, it's, it's the truth. It is. Revelation chapter 20 Uh, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But listen, this, uh, this, this is tragic, but this is truth. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The fact is, you and I are eternal creatures, whether you want it to come into existence or not, or whatever you are. And of that, you have no option. You have no choice. You are an eternal creature. You will exist for all of eternity because you are made in the image of God, and God is an eternal God. And so at least part of that understanding is that you are an eternal creature. But the, listen, think about this. Their hearts, it, it really just comes down to a rebellious heart. Their hearts are so rebellious towards God that they would rather live like a pig than submit to the authority of God in their life. I've known some people like that. Let's be honest with you. I, I, was, uh, I was looking at some stuff uh, while I was working on this, and, and some of you are probably familiar or at least have heard the very famous or maybe infamous uh, quote from uh, John Milton's poem, uh, Paradise Lost, a 17th century uh, poem. And in the poem, there's this very famous line where Satan, after he's defeated, uh, Satan says this, this very famous line, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Any of you ever heard that statement before? It's very famous, uh, at least in the literary world. It's better to reign in hell. The Trekkies know it too because Khan uses it. In, uh, ne- never mind. 
better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. It is, you know, it is that, that is the essence right there of what we're talking about, a rebellious heart. That anything is better than having to bend my knee to the living God. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what I have to go through. Anything is better than having to bend my knee to the living God. That's a rebellious heart. That's what we're talking about here. A rebellious life. And it doesn't matter. I'm not going to do it. Last night, I was going over this message and I was praying through it and, and I, and I, was looking at Milton's quote, and, and so I got to look at some stuff, and I found this thing on, on yahooanswers.com where the, uh, the question was posed, do you agree with this statement? Do you agree with the statement it's better to, to reign in hell than to serve in heaven? I want to read you uh, just a few of the responses that I came across in that thread. Uh, I don't believe in either heaven or hell, but the way I look at it, it's probably better to be the boss than some angelic slave for, forced into servitude to worship a master. How about this one? Uh, Applicable. All the people in heaven are kissing feet as we speak. All the cool people are in hell, like Gandhi. I don't even think they spelt Gandhi's name right, but all the cool people are in hell. This one. Uh, Lucifer nailed it. That's exactly how I feel, although I don't believe in hell. (laughs) Listen, if you read that thread, it's amazing how many times that comes. Oh, I I don't believe in it. Yes, although I don't hold a duo-theistic worldview or believe in heaven, hell, it would be better to reign in hell with Satan than be a peon to that other awful jerk. I'd side with Satan over Jehovah any day of the week. And seriously, all the good people are in hell or limbo if Christian theology were correct, which it's not. Of course, it couldn't possibly be correct. Yes, that's right. God, hell, I'm telling you, man, I, I didn't physically weep, but my heart was breaking as I read these comments. This one, uh, it's better to not believe in either uh, hell or heaven because there's only one life. Live it to the fullest. You know, that, that's, I don't even, that's like saying uh, it's better to not believe in gravity as you jump off the Empire State Building because it's a really cool ride going down. You know, I mean, I just don't believe in it. That's, I don't, okay, all right. Because hell is exciting. Clearly a country boy must have written this one. Because hell is exciting, fun, whereas heaven is a boring place. Ha ha, only if it exists. Uh, One more. I think it's the last one. People have tried to convert me before, and it made me not believe in God that much more. Hell may be a burning pit of nothing if it is real, but it sounds better than total peace and my family in the same place together in peace. Never going to happen. Rain and hell sounds more fun because then you get to play with fire forever and ever. And heaven, you get to be a little good children and behave. Not me, never, I'm sure, neither are real. It's just, it's rebellious life. It's a rebellious heart. The unwillingness to submit ourselves. Now listen, real quickly, I want to say a few things to you in regard to the, the rebellious heart and attitude of these demons. That, that you and I need to consider, Okay? Here's the first one. Examine your salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Examine your salvation. Because I don't think anyone in here would argue with the fact that the demons believed in Jesus. They acknowledged him as God and they even submitted to his authority over them even though they didn't want to. 
They admitted that who he was. And so I don't think there's anyone in here that would say, oh, they didn't, they didn't believe in Jesus. So here's the question I want to pose to you. Now listen to me, this is very important. Does that mean that those demons were saved? Because, wait a minute now, after all, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. What does it say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, there it is. Pastor, it's, it's, it's right there. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. <laughs> we, but, but I don't think there's a person here. I don't think there's a person here that would say that, that those demons were in right standing with God. You see, you understand where we're getting to with this? There must be something more to this idea of belief than we tend to think of when we say belief. When the Bible talks about belief, there must be something more to it than what than what a majority of people, or to a large extent, a large number of people seem to to uh, understand. Because listen to you, I couldn't tell you how many people that I have talked to through the years who have said to me, "Well, I believe in Jesus," and and they carry it around like like some sort of get out of hell free card and live their life any way they want with no thought or concept of God or what He might want or what His. But no, none of that. Listen, that's, I'm sorry. We, we need to examine our salvation and just, and just make sure. Well, are you trying to get us to doubt our salvation? No, I'm really not. But I am asking you to examine your salvation and make sure that you have a full understanding of what it means that, that, that when the Bible talks about belief, it's talking about a, a, a life of change. It talks about a belief that changes you. It talks about a belief that causes you to surrender your life to him. And so here's, listen, here, here's, how, here's how I would put it. And I, and I hope I don't uh, offend anybody uh, by this, but, but here's how, how, I, how I would put it. Belief without surrender is just BS. You get it? The B, belief, S, surrender. Belief without surrender is just BS. Y'all, y'all, know, y'all know what, y'all know what BS, but. But but bogus salvation, right? But bogus salvation. <laughs> Listen, I I'm telling you that that we have to come to this understanding that that when the Bible talks about belief, it seems to talk about it in a whole lot different terms than what many people who who would profess to believe in Jesus. It's very different from what they seem to to understand. That's, that's all I'm saying. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt yourself. I'm just telling you, make sure you examine your salvation. And make sure the salvation that you have lines up with the salvation that is described in Scripture, where a person surrenders their life. Oh, I know, I know they don't know everything at first. I know, I know there's a sanctification, a growth process. I understand that. But to believe means, it's, that's right, it's yours. God, it's yours. It's all yours. Okay, so examine, examine salvation. Here's the second one I would say. Examine your influences. Examine your influence. Again, I, I know we don't know how this man got into this condition, okay? We don't know for sure how he got this way. But it's a pretty safe bet that somewhere along the way, this guy opened his life up to some type of sinful influences in his life that allowed demonic control of his life to come in. From what we know about Scripture, from what we know of, of accounts that we've seen, there was probably some sense of opening up his life. So I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, Examine your influence. And again, that's not to say not everybody's demon-possessed. I'm I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there are influences in our life 
that clearly can take us away from the plans and purposes of God without question. So you need to examine your influence. Listen, if, if, you, if you're a parent, if you are a parent, obviously you have to examine the influences of your own life, but you have the responsibility of examining the influences in your children's lives. You really, you really do. You have to examine the, uh, the stuff they're learning. You have to examine the, the social media networks you have to, uh, ex- or outlets. You have to examine uh, the music, and you have to examine the, uh, the, the shows. And you, have to, you, just, you just have to. It's just your responsibility. You have to examine all of that stuff. And listen, I, I, and I'll freely confess to you, I sure did not always get this right. Whoo, man, ask my kids. I did not get this always right. And you, and you probably won't either. But I know that somewhere along the way, there has to be some balance in this thing where we're, where we're taking our parental responsibility and, and examining the influences in our children's life. But at the same time, as they grow, we have to begin to let them have a little bit of freedom. We have to begin to let them begin to make some choices. And we try and, we help, try and help them understand the choices that they're making and how those choices can influence them. So I, I know there's some balance in some of this, but, but we have to examine our influence. And listen, if you're here and you're a teenager or, or, or a, a child or, or you're a young adult, I want you to stop texting for a minute and, and look at me. I want you, to, want you to focus in on me for just a minute. All right? I want you to, I want you to listen to me. I want to say a couple things to you. The first one is going to totally blow your mind, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. You ready? Your parents are not brain dead. You heard it here first. Your parents are not brain dead. They actually know a little something about what they talk to you about. They hopefully have a little bit of wisdom because they have studied God's word and they have sought out what God would approve of and what God doesn't approve of. And they've sought his wisdom in in discerning what those influences should be in your life and that sort of thing. But also, they've they've been through a little bit of stuff in their life. They've they've had a few experiences. They know a little bit about peer pressures and and other influences that that can affect your life. They, they, They do. They know that stuff. And listen, I want to say something else to you. If you're here and you're, you know, you're 13 or you're 16 or you're, or you're 21 or, or something like that, listen, you can't even fathom in your mind being 40. Can you? Can you? You can't even, that is so far removed from your, yeah, you can't even imagine what that, that, that but listen to me, here's what I'm telling you. Listen to me, because I, I love you, I love you, I pray for you. But some of the influences that you are or may allow into your life will cause you to make some choices that will affect the rest of your life. That will affect what you do when you're 30 or what condition you're in when you're 40. And I know you can't imagine being there. Examine your influences. Engage them against the perfection of God's word. I know it's not easy. I know it's hard. I know that there are, there are peer pressures and in, in the adult world and, the, and, the, and, children, and all. I know it. I understand it. But we've got to do it. All right. Let me, uh, let me go on uh, real quick. Let me go to the last one. The people, the crowd, the group, they, they ran Jesus off. That was life rejected. The demon-possessed man ran to him and experienced life reborn. The demons ran from him experienced a life of rebellion, the people ran Jesus off and rejected the life that he offered altogether. Verse 14, it says, 
their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the, the very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Does it seem strange? Don't you think they would, don't you think they'd be happy? Don't you think they'd be rejoicing? It scared them. And those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. We got money tied up there. And they began to implore him to leave their region. I, I, I love the fact, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, but the truth is they would rather have a stark, raving, mad, barking at the moon, demon-possessed man living up in the cemetery than have the Son of God in their midst. Yeah, huh, get out of here. Get up, I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they're afraid of, of how their lives would change. Maybe they were afraid of what they were going to have to give up. If they let this guy stick around, maybe they were afraid of what else they were going to lose if this guy stuck around. That they were rejecting the very one who is life and who is offering life to them. Remember, Jesus came over there intentionally. That part of the Sea of Galilee where he crossed over, where he went over from where he was, was was predominantly non-Jewish. It was a Gentile region. That's why, they had the, that's why they're raising pigs and everything else. He, he goes over there intentionally. And you know why Jesus goes over there, and this is going to be theologically, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I think y'all can handle it. Do you know why Jesus went over there? Jesus went over there because he loved them. He, he loved them just, just, just like he loves us. And they, ah, mm, no, run. I, I've, told, I've told the story before, but... Uh, a few years ago, I was doing a revival at some little town somewhere. I don't even remember where it was, but it was a, it was a, it was a little country town, and I was doing a revival, and uh, one of the nights of the revival services, uh, before the service, you know, the, the, everybody's mingling around, and it was, a, it was a full house. It was a packed house, and everybody's mingling around, and, you know, all kind of stuff is happening, and people are talking, and all that kind of thing, and in walks this guy, and, I mean, the the, everything changed when this guy walked in the room. I mean, all of a sudden, it's just like, there's like a collective, and then, I know, it's hard to believe that would go on in church, but, it, and I found out later, it turns out, this guy was Billy Bob Bad Boy. This was like, this was the worst guy in the, in the town. You know, in small town, you have, you know, in bigger cities and stuff, you, you might have gangs and stuff. But in small towns, or at least you, you just, there was one guy that was like the bad guy of town. And that was Billy Bob Bad Boy in this, this town. It wasn't really his name. I, stay with me. Anyway, uh, and so in walks Billy Bob Bad Boy. And nobody, uh, I mean, apparently everybody is shocked because clearly nobody has invited this guy. Uh, heaven forbid that Billy Bob Bad Boy should come to church. But, but in walks this guy. Nobody still, as far as I know, nobody ever did know why he came. And he doesn't just come and plop down on the back row. He marches himself all the way down and sits on the front pew. And it's a small, it's not a big church. Sits himself on a front pew. And they had, in this church, they had, uh, they had built up the platform. You know, it was probably at least as high as this thing was. And uh, because it was a small church, they had built it out some. And so when I'm preaching, I mean, I'm like literally looking over this guy. And he's the only one brave enough to sit on the front row besides the pastor probably. And so I'm like literally looking over this guy. If I, if I step off of here, I'm literally stepping on this guy's toes. And so I preached. I don't remember what I preached that night. And the end of the service, he got up and walked out. Now, I, 
Uh, I would love to think that the guy got saved that night. It would have been a glorious story to tell. Yeah, a guy came forward confessing all the people he'd murdered and all this stuff. No, no. Just turned around and walked out. The, the, the optimist in me would like to think that somewhere down the road, maybe that guy gave his life to Jesus Christ. He heard the gospel. That maybe, maybe, I don't know. But this I know, and this, I've told people this before. This, 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 this was the thought that came to my mind after service, and they told me who all this was and everything. I, I thought, here, this guy's two feet from heaven, but it might as well be a million miles because he rejected it. He turned around and he walked away. Go away, Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't want you in my life. And I just say to you, nothing breaks my heart more than a person that, that rejects the love of Christ. To know what he did for us and how much he cares for us and what he desires for us. Can I just say to you, and I, I don't know, obviously, the spiritual condition of everybody in this room or the people that, that watch this, this, uh, uh, broadcast, this sermon when it's on or, or listen to it on iTunes or whatever. I don't, I don't know the spiritual condition. But, but can I just plead with anybody that would be uncertain about this? Don't. Don't reject Jesus Christ. Don't reject the one who loved you so much that he would rather die than live without you. Don't reject the one who can, who can clean you up and clear you out and commission you to go out. Because here's what I want. I want to leave you with a positive note. And we won't see it for a few more weeks. We won't see it till we get to chapter 7. But in chapter 7 of the book of Mark, Jesus comes back around to that region. And when he does, the reaction that he gets the next time is very different from the reaction that he gets this time. I think the reason has to be because of this demon-possessed man turned missionary. In verse 20, uh, it says, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. That was a group of 10 cities in that region. What great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone, everyone marveled. Well, there you have it. It's fascinating to see how different people in the story reacted to Jesus being there. The demon-possessed man ran to Jesus. The demons ran from Jesus. And the crowd ran Jesus off. You know, if you think about it, you can probably think of some people in your life that fall into those three different categories. The demon-possessed man experienced real life as Jesus set him free from slavery to the demons living in him. As Pastor Clay told us today, Jesus wouldn't let the man follow him into the boat. He needed him to go back to the people who knew him best and could see how the power of God had worked in his life. Praise God for the life that Jesus brings to each one of us who receive him. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to leave you
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.